Well, thank you so much for leading us in worship, and uh, I thank God for um, giving us people with hearts and desires to to want to come in His presence and to lead us all into His presence. I want to share with you just a few things before we kind of move into the message, and, and that is to, for guys, I would really love your attention on this. Uh, we have a men's retreat coming up next weekend, and there are a few spots that are still open, and they are open till Tuesday, so please sign up. I believe it will be a great experience. Uh, We'll be talking about what it means to walk and to live in the Spirit. And there will be a number of people who will be sharing their story around that. So I, I really encourage you to, to look into that on our app or you can find it on our, our website or call the office. There's two other things that I want to share with you. We talked a little bit about our financial situation this past uh, Sunday and we explained that we're about $100,000 down as we're in our last quarter of our fiscal year. Our year ends in June. And uh, what we encourage you to do is think about how God is leading your life. Uh, we've been given a $20,000 match. So anything, and it's kind of we're calling it double your donation, anything that is above your normal giving, regular giving, will go to that uh, to help us to kind of shrink that gap between um, our, our, our projected budget giving and our actual giving. So please take note of that. And I'm grateful to God for just the response of, of so many already. I also have one other thing that I want to share with you, and that is on Sunday, May 16th, following the morning worship service, the elders are going to um, share with the congregation in a special congregational meeting uh, to prepare us for the June meeting, our annual meeting, and they will share uh, those resets, those three areas that we've been talking about since January after that time of pause and prayer and kind of a reset, how do we move into a a community that does the best we can to reach people with the gospel of Christ, to uh, empower and embrace emerging generations, those who are coming up on earth, and then to um, do it together as a group. And the three resets of our church name, our church governance, and we've talked about church staffing. We'll do a brief update on those three, but specifically want to come to you with a recommendation from the elders, a proposal that will be voted on with regard to church governance in June. So I just want to alert you to the fact that that meeting is September, um, May 16th, May 16th, um, after the service. Well, with that being said, We have been looking at the book of Acts for a number of months, really beginning in in September, and I've titled each of these kind of sections in Acts with a different word, and this word for this section that we're in is called uncomfortable. Uh, We'll be ending that part of the series next week. I'm excited as I will take some time to talk about what it is, this whole uncomfortable idea of justice and justice, and and I'm going to be doing that kind of in a... a, uh, discussion format with Peter Kapsner. So um, I look forward to that. But today I want to talk about uncomfortable because we've been talking about tough conversations last week. We talked about how difficult it is when you start talking about Christianity and culture or Christianity and those who represent Christianity in our culture. And then that last one in that passage was Christianity and money and, and all those things and, and how tough sometimes conversations can be around that. Well, today we're talking about tough questions. From this passage of scripture arise some tough questions that um, I think people will face. And um, I want you to think for a second. 
Have you ever been asked a tough question like this? So we're just asking a bunch of different kids, if you got to meet God face to face, what questions would you ask him? Why did God make me so good at football? Where would he sleep every night? How were the planets formed? How do you make the clouds? Why do I have hair? Why do we have hair? Is there sharks in heaven? Why is hippo so fat? Did Jesus and God ever get weepy? Why can't I just play sports all day? What's your mom's name? If he lives with anyone? Why do armpits smell? Why do we have brain freeze when we eat, um, when we drink cold things too fast? How much Christmases has you been alive? Why do we have to read so much at school? Why does my family have to be so loud? Why are cheetahs so fast? Why are cheetahs so fast? Why do brothers and sisters fight a lot? What did the world used to look like once there was nothing there? How old is he? How old is God? Why can't we have world peace? If I could see the past when Jesus was on earth, where did he come from? Why did he name a Jesus Jesus? How long did you live on earth? What was your favorite part of your life? I would ask him if he could remove sin from all of the earth. Can you make people nice to each other? Where were you before heaven was made? How was God made? How was Satan created? If I can learn more about him. Why were we made with sin? How is there no beginning or no end to God? Does everyone go to heaven? What is it like in heaven with you? When is Jesus coming back? Why is your heart so big? And I think that's all. Well, you know, what I think is really interesting about that is that uh, I believe those tough questions are really difficult to answer if you've been a parent, grandparent, uncle, aunt, educator, teacher, whatever realm you've been in and you've had had that questions or some of those questions asked you, you find them very difficult often to answer and and eventually you just say because, right? Uh, often those are those kind of cases. What I've also noted and I thought was very interesting is when you enter a life like a child, you just are full of questions, right? You're full of questions, and then somehow as you get older and as you begin to get answers to some questions, there's this weird thing that happens around when you're 20, uh, mid-20s, early 30s, you almost realize you know all the answers to the questions, right? And then as you go 40, you start having things happen, and they raise questions, and 50, as you get older, you all of a sudden become like a child again. You go, i got a lot more questions than I do answers. Well, these are some tough questions that we're going to look at in this passage that comes from this, and they create some kind of uncomfortable feeling situations. How do you, how do you deal with this? So Acts chapter 12, we'll just begin right in that passage of scripture, verse 1 through 19. I'm going to read the whole section so you get the whole flavor of it. It says that about that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. And he had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. And when Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, He also arrested Peter. And this took place during Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers. 
So every six hours they would change. It would be four, four, four. So he was well watched with well alert people. And so Herod intended to bring out for public trial after the Passover. Reminds you somewhat of what was happening with Jesus. Brought out after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. And the night before, the night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was fast, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell. And the angel of the Lord stood before Peter. And the angel struck him on the side to awaken him. I love the imagery. It's like he's there, bright light, Peter's sound asleep. And he just goes, Peter, kind of, I, I imagine him kind of pick, either kicking him or, or sh- doing something like that. But he, it, the word is actually, he struck him on the side to awaken him and said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. And then the angel told him, get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your, your coat and follow me. And the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time, he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and then the second guard post and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. It had one of the automatic things back then that just, yeah. So they passed through and started walking down the street and then the angel of the Lord suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. Is it really true? It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod, from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. And when he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. And he knocked at the door of the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. And when she recognized Peter's voice... Didn't see him, but recognized his voice. She was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside, told everyone, Peter is standing here. He's at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. Crazy woman. Crazy woman was what I added. Anyway, when she insisted, they decided it must be his angel, they said. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He motioned for them to quiet down. And he told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. I think it's interesting. Not an angel, but the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell James, which is an interesting comment. There's now, at this point in the church, there's been a lot of movement in these first number of years. James is now the recognized, the brother of Jesus, is now the recognized kind of leader of the church in Jerusalem because all the others have been scattered. Uh, and most of the apostles had been moving into other places of the world. And, and it says, tell James and the other brothers what had happened. And he said, he said, and then he went to another place. And at dawn, there was a great commotion among the soldiers about what had happened to Peter. Herod Agrippa ordered a thorough search for him. And when he couldn't be found, Herod interrogated the guards and sentenced them to death. The Greek actually has led them away, which is a, a form of um, used often when it comes to execution. And afterward, Herod left Judea to stay in Caesarea for a while. Next week, we'll talk about what God does with Herod. There is this interesting cycle in the book of Acts that you need to kind of pay attention to, which you can know is true for Christianity as a whole, as well as for your own personal life. And that is, there's a challenge, 
There's triumph, and then there's advancement of the word of God. And, and that's something that happens in our lives. There's a challenge, and then we, uh, in faith, as we walk with God, doesn't mean bad things and harmful things, hurtful things don't happen to us, but there's a triumph that Jesus overcomes by faith, and then there is an advancement that takes place in our personal life or in the world with regard to the kingdom of God. So what you have here in this first passage are some, I think, interesting questions because here is um, James who is imprisoned and then executed. And, and what's really interesting, Herod's cronies and also the people who are against Christianity are really pumped. They're really excited. The religious establishment of that day think this is a really good thing. You know, got rid of Jesus, let's get rid of James, the brother of John, not James, the brother of Jesus, James, brother of John, who was at that time the leader of the church. And, and they're thinking, this is great. And Herod's really um, excited because he likes, he, you know, he loves to try, in one sense, please the people because it makes his own selfish efforts more easy to, um, to initiate. And so he's seeing that happen. Now he thinks, well, here's a great idea. They really like the James Act. I'm going to do the Peter one. So he gets Peter and prisons Peter. And we're told then um, the church begins to pray like crazy. And Jesus sends an angel and rescues Peter. This is my first question that comes out of here that you may have, and that is why. Ever thought of that? Why? Why in the world does he go ahead and he will rescue Peter and not James. Why spare one and not the other? I mean, I, I asked that question. I think people would ask that question. You wonder, did Jesus like Peter more than James? You had the three inner circle, Peter, James, and John, and they would often go with Jesus. They were the closest ones. And maybe Peter, well, we told John's the closest, but maybe Peter was reckon, second rank. You know, what's going on here? Here is, they go to the mountaintop where he's transfigured. It's Peter, James, John. You then have another time when he, he pulls him aside for the healing and, and actually raising the life of this child. It's Peter, James, and John. He's in the garden and his most, uh, his worst moment, Jesus brings together Peter, James, and John. You would think, that he'd be rescuing James, but he doesn't. I think is interesting in this is that if you look at each of their lives, they each die differently and at different times. And each of their deaths are unique before the Lord. At one point, Peter is being reinstated in John 21 with Jesus walking beside him and asking him, do you really love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times. Again, this three times thing is a really important thing. It's this idea by the third time, it's, it's kind of God kind of acting and working. And so it's the third time and, he, and Peter's just like, you know I love you. And then he begins to talk to him about his life and he tells Peter that you're going to be led around like as an old man and you're going to be a servant and you're going to die. He basically says you're going to die as a murder. As he's walking, Peter looks back and here's John and he's kind of in his mind says, oh, what about him? I know you really love him. And, and, and his response to Peter is interesting. If I want him to live till I return again someday, what's that to you? It's kind of like, I have my plans that are, that are, um, purposeful for each one of your lives. God has a call and he has a destiny and he has his hand, his hand on your life and each and every one of us. We find that James dies here. He dies the first martyr. And then you have Peter who is about to die but gets spared. 
And then later, some 20 years later, he, according to tradition, is crucified. But not crucified the way Jesus would be, right side up. He so desired um, to follow Jesus in such a way that when he was told that he would be dying this way, he asked to be crucified upside down because he said he didn't deserve to die in the same manner that his Lord and Savior Jesus died. And John... We know from what Jesus had to say that he was going to live a long life. He actually dies a natural death. He's been commissioned by Jesus on the cross to take care of Mary. He does. They eventually at one point leave Palestine because of all the unrest that's happening with Rome and and Herod and all the rest. They move and, and tradition tells us that both of them lived and died in Ephesus. But that still doesn't answer my question. So my question says, okay, so why Jesus? And I ask this question because if you look at verse 4 and 5, it says, after Peter's arrested, Herod intended again a public trial. He's going to go, this can be quite a show. And, and, and so in this public trial, we're told in verse 5 that Peter's put in prison. But, isn't it just, it, this advertisement, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And, and the word earnestly praying is the word ektonos, which is this word ek, which means out or from. And tonos is, tenos is this, is this idea of stretched. The, it's like the church as a whole. It'd be as if this body, we got past our Norwegian-ness on a Sunday because we are really intent about praying, and we'd all be just going, God, we're reaching out, do something here. And so then I asked myself, well, was the question to this, you kind of maybe ask and say, was the church just not praying when James was thrown in prison? Maybe they were asleep at the wheel. Maybe they saw what happened to James that spurred them on to pray. Was it because they didn't pray enough? They failed to do what maybe they should have done. Ever felt that way? Ever felt that way of, you know, why? Why, God? Did I, if I'd have just done this, if I'd have done this, maybe this would be all different. This is probably one of those most uncomfortable, tough questions that get asked. They're, they're painful. Why? I remember as we were going through this trial and it's leading up to the uh, jury making a decision on George Floyd, but you all know earlier, a few weeks or whatever it is before that, we have this seemingly senseless death of Devante Wright. And I can imagine the family is going, why? I mean, I asked that. On a lot of different levels. I asked it, why God, with all that's going on, would you even allow this to happen? Or if you're a family member, why this, you know, well, this is our, you know, this is my son, or this is my cousin, or this is my nephew, or this is my father. And then you have to ask for the, the police officer, and I make no judgment on this, because, you know, that's all what the courts are supposed to do. But let's just say in, she didn't intend to pull a gun, but in the moment, pulled it, and you hear her say, why? It's almost why? Oh no! Can you imagine where her heart is at today? Why? Why God? Why spare Peter and not James? Why God? Why'd you take my dad or my mom when I was a child? Why God? 
Why, when I was back in college, did my buddy, who didn't even have as good grades as I had, maybe get into a school that I had hoped to get into? Why, God, would you allow this thing called COVID? Why, God? And the why questions are really hard. In fact, they're the ones that you can't really, even if you were to give the answer, it's, it's, it's almost not, it's, you might go, oh, okay, that's good. But it can't really comfort. One writer says it this way, why questions are so hard? Because any why question, when followed through ruthlessly, will not be answerable, as you will hit on the uncertainty and unresolved mysteries of the nature of reality often involving explanations behind our mind's ability to grasp. When I think of like a child who's three and a half, and you tell them as a grandparent, you don't touch the stove, it's really hot. And they go, why? Well, because it's hot, it'll create an owie. But why? Well, because when you get an owie, it really hurts. Remember the owie? But why? It just keeps leading to a why. And a lot of times I think in these kind of situations, um, you could even be given a, a really good explanation, but it doesn't still necessarily calm the heart. There's still this sense of why. And, and our whys become interminable, and they can actually control you and stunt you and cause you to be stuck. Sometimes why questions are just really tough to deal with. I was thinking about this and I was preparing this message. Um, I was thinking about uh, people who have asked those questions and, and, and I've been walking with someone who's been asking that question. And so I'm going to ask Arya Semeni to come up and uh, share. Arya has been in a small group with me for um, quite a while. And uh, yeah, I guess you're going to be in there quite a while longer because you're in that remedial group that, um, that just, you're just, you'll pass someday. You might want to ask why, but... Um, it's a good excuse to stay close to you, Ken. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So let's go ahead and, and I would love for you to take a moment and just maybe share your story. You uh, show a little bit about your, your, you were close to your dad. You lost your dad just a few years ago. We'll talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. He would, uh, he'd want me to start with a couple quick disclaimers or declarations that, um, the story is certainly sad, uh, but he kept saying over and over, it's not a tragedy. The tragedy is the young child or the young parent who's going or facing a similar mm-hmm. bout. Um, and he really led us with that perspective through this whole process. Uh, another just piece of context for what we're going to share is uh, we love the game of golf. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was born, my dad had two loves enter his life and join my mom. <laughs> uh, that was myself and golf. And uh, it's where we did a lot of our bonding. Yeah. Um, you know, so much so that he got to know many of my dear friends uh, on the golf course and um, spending a lot of time with one another and uh, he was my best friend and greatest fan. Yeah. Um, we really had a very, very unique relationship. Yeah. Um, you know, he'd oftentimes be my first call with a lot of things yeah. and just, uh, we'd go on these golf trips and, you know, there'd be the one 60 year old guy with all yeah. the, you know, 27 year olds up there. And it was, uh, it was a lot of fun and we had, um, something certainly special. And, uh, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Right. Um, in fact, we were on one of these golf trips with a bunch of buddies um, in August. He was diagnosed in September and then gone in April. Um, and so it was just a, a wild journey for us. So I remember when you called me and shared with me, and I could hear just the pain 
in your heart and 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 then the process that you kind of went through when he you know he he didn't live long after the diagnosis and here it was about three years ago you're in your early 30s you're dealing with this one of the hard parts of it is you're just having your own grandkids and you know all that was there and present um, what were some common threads when you started having to process why yeah, I think uh, <laughs> I wrote them down because there were so many and I tried to narrow the scope. Sure. But um, there was really kind of three buckets. Uh, the tactical, which was like, why didn't we catch it sooner? What if we would have seen X doctor instead of Y doctor? Did a misstep in the treatment plan or our approach cause harm? And then there was the spiritual elements, mm-hmm. which was, why is God allowing this to happen? Why was our belief for healing, all the prayers, the laying of hands, the anointing with oil, the desperate solo and corporate pleas for miraculous healing not brought to fruition? God can and does heal, so why didn't he choose my dad? Mm -hmm. And then that path becomes loaded with a million more questions. Yeah, yeah, so. (laughs) Um, And then. So those lead to more. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And even recently, you know, there's desperate attempts still to kind of reconcile this thing and say, um, you know, oh, God, you must have known there's no way my dad could have done COVID. Yeah. He was too much of a hugger, too much of a people person. <laughs> okay. yeah. I get it now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that, that was really kind of the tip of the iceberg yeah. in terms of my grief sure. journey. Okay. Um, you know, I, I received two really wonderful people or pieces of advice from people I love and mentors. And so little plug to do community and, and have yeah. mentors and yeah, leaders sure. in your life. One was with you, oh. um, and not just to butter you up here. But, yeah, well, uh, <laughs> bring it on, bring yeah, it on. Yeah, the, uh, we planned all this. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, that was on that walk. You know, yeah. you dropped, you canceled whatever you were doing after I got the diagnosis, and you said, let's go for a walk. And we were walking around here, and um, you encouraged me to really press into belief for healing and hope. Um, and there's a lot more that goes into that. But despite not getting the outcome that I desperately needed, um, I'm so glad I took that yeah. posture. Yeah. I just said pray with belief and hope that God can heal and recognize like a child before a parent. That may not be the direction God goes. And then pray like crazy for God to bring healing and to, to move you forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The other piece was with um, Bob Kleinschmidt. And he, uh, he walked me through just what it looks like to let go of some of the whys. Uh, and he didn't force me there. And he said, look, it's really important to navigate these things, to receive them. At some point, you learn to hold them more and more loosely, um, and that that becomes a critical part of of the healing process, Um, and it gets easier to then start moving forward. And so, for example, immediately, I was, um, you know, watching the video of those kids, just really resonated, I was a kid again, right? And you're uh, wondering, what does heaven actually look like? I just watched breath leave my dad. Mm Mm-hmm. Where did he go? His body's still here. Where did he go? And you start thinking about, like, what does heaven look like? Does he get to be a grandpa to my children that he so desperately loved and only got a glimpse of? Right. Um, You know, then what what does my relationship with my wife look like, my kids? What age will we all be? It's really simple questions that it's like, you know, I'm not sure I really, maybe I thought about them, but then when you lose someone like this, it becomes so critically important to get answered. So let me just, I was going to have you um, kind of go sit down, but I'm going to punt and we're going to do something different. So are you okay to be spontaneous? I'll follow you. Okay. Sure. I just want to share you the second question that I think comes up in this passage of scripture is how do we approach, not just a why question, but how do we, uh, do we live with a biblical mindset? 
Because what I think is so interesting in this passage of scripture is you get this thing that, you know, obviously whether, um, whether by biblical mindset, I mean, do you have the reality that God can truly speak to you, that God can enter into your life? Can, he can intervene or is he this God, you know, a lot of like Dia, so he's wound it up and things are going. We live like that as Christians often. We don't truly believe that God can intervene and act. And so the second one is you believe a biblical mindset. And what I see in this passage is, is you have these guards who are guarding him. Herod must have believed to some degree because he knew these guys were up to some strange things and they were actually able to get away. So he had them well guarded. And I think it's so interesting too. And this is the way God works. It says the night before, you know what? God, God is one of those guys who he's never late, but seldom early. Kind of that, that idea. He's the night before. Some of you might be in a situation. I want to tell you the night before. Sometimes God just steps in, in faith. And then, and then what I think is interesting, the angel had, how many of you, not me, would be able to do this. I don't think I would. Would be able to be sound asleep like Peter. The, the night before, he knows he's probably going to be executed. So sound asleep, the angel with the bright light. So lights wake me up like that anyway. His bright light comes in. He's got to actually push him. And he's not even alert to it. And then he starts putting, he says, you know what, Peter? Peter's kind of like, he's not even awake yet. He's thinking he's in a dream. And he goes, you know, Peter, you'll need shoes. And Peter puts his shoes on and he starts to go. He goes, oh, Peter, you'll probably want a coat. And, and, and let's get out of here. And I, I think the immediacy of getting out, and I, you know, how does it all work in God's kingdom? They walk by two sets of guards. They leave. The angel gets them to, you know, the iron gate opens. The angel gets them to the point and then the angel leaves. And all of a sudden Peter comes to his senses. That amazes me. He goes, whoa, this isn't a dream. This is really God. I've seen Jesus work, but now I see the Holy Spirit work. And my question is this. When they come to Peter, and Peter comes to the door, he's knocking. Rhoda, which means rosebud, the servant girl. She's a servant. And and servant girls and and women and children were not considered often to be educated. So that makes sense when they said she's out of her mind. She sees, she hears the voice. She doesn't see him. She just hears the voice. And recognizes the voice, runs back in and says, Peter's there. And they go, you must be a crazy woman. It can't be, Peter. It's got to be what? His angel. I do not believe there would be one small group that would be meeting. And if I came knocking on your door and you heard my voice and the person came, you know, in this kind of situation, you would go, it's Kevin's angel. They live with a different mindset of the realm of the spirit and how God can interact and how he moves. That angels are possible. There really are such things as demonic spirits. It is really true that God can supernaturally heal. We really do know that God can intervene and speak to us. In fact, what we need more often in the times of the wise is we don't need a complex explanation of all that you know, God goes, okay, let me follow the red thread all the way for uh, 120, 40, maybe 800 years so you can see how this little incident made a difference. We can't comprehend it. That's so often why God, like a parent, just says, because. But what he does, instead of giving us a complex explanation, is if we're open to it, and we really do live with a mindset that's biblical, not our Western mechanistic um, scientific, materialistic, this is the only thing that exists, which even science is telling us this is like space anyway. 
But we live with the mindset that God is not only great and beyond our imagination, but God really deeply, deeply loves you. I really believe what you need in those minutes is not some complex explanation, even the why you're asking. It's okay to ask the why and the process to it. But I really, truly believe that what you need, if your mind is open to it, because you have a mind that follows the realm of the spirit and isn't, we're all tainted by this world and the way we see things. It's hard to live by faith. But if you have that mind that says, God, I'm going to just trust you in this, what you really need is a hug, right? You don't need some complex explanation. You need a compassionate hug from God. Like a parent, it doesn't help a whole lot to explain the dynamics and physiology and physics and everything around a child's hand being hurt, whatever. It really just helps to put your arms around them and hug them. And I just want to tell you, some of you are in a place right now that God just wants to hug you. And he just wants you to be open to that. So, I say all that, and I punted, and I made you sit here while I went on and preached. You have, I just love what God did. Why don't you tell the rest of your story? Yeah, so obviously, you know, kind of shared that golf was our thing, right? Um, another thing is my dad, those of you who knew him or had, you know, letters or emails or texts from him, he was emojis before there was even emojis. Um, he would sign on everything with smiley faces. This, my wife was so sweet, she kept uh, one of the Christmas cards I had, and she took this, um, and she, she transposed it onto a picture of him playing golf, and I keep this can, in my office. Can I just, I mean, the D is a smiley face, the O is a smile, another O is a smile. I mean, is that really characteristic of what he did? Uh, Everything. In fact, yesterday, one of my uncles was at my house, and he said, oh, I had a golf ball from your dad, and it was smiley faces on each one of them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It was, yes. Pretty cool. Um, so, you know, that, that, that becomes significant in a moment. Um, and then, obviously, the threat of golf, right? And so I knew that the first time that I was going to go play golf after he passed was going to be emotional. Um, and I went with some buddies from our small group uh, at this church, and we get there and we're we're playing and you know I was emotional driving there but then when you're there it's you're going through your routine getting loose make sure you don't pull a hamstring and uh, start playing and not really thinking of anything and then by the second hole or so start to get a little bit emotional of just realizing wow like I'm playing golf and he's not here um, then we come up to the third hole and we're foursome and there's a single guy playing behind us and. He kind of is catching up to us, and we say, hey, you know, go ahead and, and play through. Yeah. And as he walks past, he says, uh, "He says it's a beautiful day, isn't it? And he was probably about, my, like, would have been my dad's age. And um, he, my dad was also notorious. In fact, we have a bench for him in Rochester where I grew up uh, in his memorial that says, what a day, what a day. Because he would say <laughs> that all the time on the golf course. And so this guy says that. He plays through, and we don't see him again. But... As we're on that third hole, same same exact hole, we're going to look for the balls. And the guys I'm playing with are on one side. I'm kind of on the other side. Um, I wish I could tell you I was in the middle of the fairway, but I wasn't. <laughs> and we get over there, and uh, I, I'm looking, and I find my ball, and then I hit it. And then I look, and there's another ball there. And I echo over to my buddies and say, hey, is this one of yours? And they're like, no, no. And I go, and I'm like, okay, I'll pick it up. I see it's a Pro V, and I'm like, okay, I'll... That's that's a good ball. I'm going to keep it, grab it, flip it over, and on that ball is uh, a smiley face. Yeah. And After a beautiful day, smiley face. Yeah. And 
I got chills. You know, I knew instantly that this was God, but immediately I also started doubting. Sure. And just saying, like, and I yelled over to my friends, did one of you put this here? You know, like, wh- wh- where did... <laughs> Who's messing with me? Yeah, I yeah. mean, you know, because it, it, that doesn't happen. Right. You know, and... Um, so I'm like really kind of shaking. We get up to the green and I'm telling my friends a story and I'm like, isn't that crazy? And I'm like, dude, that's God. That's God. That's God. That's God. And I'm like, yeah, it seems like it, you know, but I, I still have this doubt. And as I'm kind of sharing, like, it's just too crazy. I grabbed the pen to pull it out. And I think for the first time in my life was stung by a bee. Mm-hmm. Well, my dad was extremely allergic to bees and we almost lost him looking for golf balls up at Breezy Point. And so that was kind of the third thing on this hole yeah. in, in span of one hole that happened that was just far beyond coincidence. Yeah. And at the end of it, I kind of threw my hands up. And then still, the next day, I called Kevin and said, you're not going to believe what happened to me because I don't. And it seems like it's just an amazing coincidence. Yeah. Well, I think it's funny is that I love the B part because God's kind of like going, you know what? I want you to really know this is me. So I'll, I'll even wake you up, kick you inside. Anyway, um, <laughs> what I what I love about that is the threes. You know, we often talk about the threes. You know, it was um, in the Old Testament that you have Samuel three times. It says God spoke to him, and and then if you look at Peter three times um, with Cornelius, he sees this thing. God often works like that because we are so we don't see the we don't we're not open to the realm of the spirit. And it's not don't shame yourself. Don't be bad. It's just we're human. He understands that we're like sheep. Um, and, and, and so the first time you kind of go, ah, that's a, that's a coincidence. That's kind of interesting. Second time you kind of go, whoa, may, maybe. And the third time God's kind of going, hey, it's me. It's me. And, you know, and I, and I think what is interesting around that is you had others who saw it. And when you, when you called me, I right away, I knew in my spirit, I said, that's God. So go ahead and share a little bit. Yeah. So I, you know, was still wrestling with it because it just seemed, too good to be true and then also what do you do with this right and it did just feel like a hug and um we went up my parents have this timeshare they bought it just before we were born and uh it's at breezy point up north and so we would go there every summer kind of a special place and on the seventh green of this old course there and um i took my daughter on her first round of golf she was riding on the cart with me and as we were going on the hole that my parents are on she points at a ball in the bunker and that was that second ball uh, with the orange smiley face. Um, my little three-and-a-half-year-old at the time says, Daddy, like, what's that? And I go and pick it up, and it's that. And I think I ran to my mom and was angry. Like, she put that there and is messing with me or something, <laughs> you know? Like, um, it's just miraculous. Yeah, yeah it's amazing, um, that hug. And I still, and then now I find tremendous peace looking back on it. It doesn't mean I'm kind of acknowledge this isn't something I'm ever going to get over, right. I don't think. I think yep. it's something I just learned to live with a little better yep. each day. But that hug makes all the difference. Yeah, it's kind of like, I just like a little kid who um, is hurt and you can't explain why, why all the complex stuff around it really doesn't settle their heart. But what does is some arms around them that says, I just love you. And it doesn't mean the pain doesn't throb. It doesn't mean you don't ask the whys. But at a certain point, you let go of those whys, and you kind of go, you know what, more important than all this is that God's with me. Because that's the promise, that he's with you. And I look at this passage of Scripture that we've looked at, and, and I just, I go, you know what? 
what God needed for the church to know at that point in the release of Peter? Think about it. They need some complex explanation of why James versus Peter. They just needed to know that God loved them. And Peter was like that hug around them that said, guess what? The challenge you're facing, I will get you through it. And I just want you to know that through this I will advance my kingdom because I have chosen to live with you and as I live with you, you will uniquely extend God's work if you're just willing to be open to it. I'm going to ask the team to come forward. Aria, thank you so much. Thank you. Love you too, man. I'm going to ask you to, to take this song in and for those of you who need to leave you can leave we said we're going to try and be done right at 11 but if you would like we're going to just um let you hear a message and song let it come into your heart let me just pray for you father i just pray right now that for those who are here who are in this time where they're asking tough questions i pray that you would give them um the hug that you've promised. And for those who have experienced that, just hug them again and wrap your arms around them, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.